Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, to places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 498, was recorded live. Back to Scoop Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. We're joining you this week. We have Mac, the dive venter. How you doing today, Mac? Well, doing pretty good. It's still hard to believe this is almost the middle of June. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I love this weather. Uh, I wish it would be here longer, and it's already slipping away. Should I dare say it? Should Will we be counting on snow here before too long? <laughs> I hope not. Do <laughs> we do the snow yeah, Give me a couple of <laughs> give me a couple of uh, months of grace. Yeah, shouldn't, shouldn't bring up the, the the negative yet. Well, I did see something before we jump on into the Gubin news. I heard a rumor that the Michigan Underwater Dive Club will hold its first in-person meeting. In well over a year next week. That is correct. We're going to be meeting on the 15th at the Benton Harbor Airport. Uh, we've got the lobby to ourselves. It's more than ample. Now, For those who want to social distance, we have plenty of room. Uh, so yeah, we're you, going to play it by ear, see who shows up, and see who pays their dues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I need to do that as well. I'm a little behind. Get my get my dues caught up. I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of an experiment tonight. I've done a little bit of integration. So Discord. So if you're somebody who's been listening and you want to be in the chat room, uh, Discord is currently open to everybody. I'm going to eventually grandfather it in to people who have been in the chat room before and to our Discord members. So if you want to get in without having been a Discord Now's the time within the next couple of weeks. I'll be locking that down. Patreon supporters are going to be able to get in there. Or like I said, those who uh, I grandfather in. So if you've been in the chat room and active in the last say three or four months, we'll grant you kind of permanent rights, but everybody else have to be a member. Fully doing some changes. Hopefully you appreciate it. And then you will be seeing on the screen uh, chat from the chat room will be in there. I know that you can chat in YouTube and that gets there as well. Uh, but that's only on the live recording. And we'll go and do the final edits. Uh, I, I have to do some cleaning up and then re-upload it and we lose all the YouTube chats. So serving it a little bit, plus a little bit of a perk for being a supporter of the program. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. First article we have up here is a diver looking for shark teeth is attacked by an alligator in Florida River and survives. I was thanking God. 
Florida diver was searching for prehistoric shark teeth but found himself on the receiving end of the alligator's teeth instead. CNN reported that 25-year-old Jeffrey Hine sustained a skull fracture from the alligator attack last Sunday in Florida's Mayak River in Sarasota County. The wound to his back required 34 staples to close, and Haim also had puncture wounds on his hand from the alligator bite. Initially, the Tampa man thought he had been hit by a boat propeller, report said, but then he saw an alligator looking at him. Haim described the attack to CNN, saying, It felt very heavy. It felt like I was moving very fast. It felt blunt. I felt like a blunt force. I didn't like the feel, or I didn't feel the cutting. I felt a pulling. Reportedly, Haim entered the water at a public spot near a restaurant. This is not the first time he had dived in the river. He had done so several times before. And for about 10 minutes, while donning his wetsuit, he checked the water for gators, but he didn't see anything. Hoping to find megalodon teeth in the river's bottom gravel, he took a few deep breaths and dove down. Free diving without scuba tanks, the report stated about 45 seconds later, the alligator struck. After the alligator's initial bite, it lunged at him, the report said, uh, back away and climb back onto the riverbank. Fortunately, he was in a public place and able to call people over for help. People called 911 while an ex-firefighter at the restaurant got a first aid kit and bandages, bandaged his head. I'm told news outlets after the attack, he felt really tired, just wanted to sleep, but he feared that he was going to die. When he initially arrived at the hospital, he joked and made a list of what happened, that changed right before he was about to get a CT scan. He realized how fortunate it was, or how fortunate he survived. At that point, I had a very religious and emotional moment. The situation really emotionally came crashing down on me. I cried so hard that day for about an hour or two, I could not stop crying, and I was thanking God. Following a day and a half like in the hospital, Haim told CNN his swelling had gone down a lot. He's on antibiotics to fight off the infection. I was probably too comfortable diving during mating season. I should have known better, according to Fish, Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. Alligator courtship activity begins in April. Temperatures warm up. They get more active. Despite the severity of his injury, Heim said he hopes alligator isn't killed. He blamed the attack on mistaken identity. He told CNN that diving for fossils is a way of relaxing. Some finds become part of his collection. Some he turns into jewelry and sells, with some proceeds donated to promote shark conservation. Poorly, Haim plans to continue river diving once he's recuperated, but he'll stay away from the Mayak River. So the mating of an alligator includes biting? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I guess if you're doing it right, maybe. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, we've been through that before. Yeah, I, yeah. Out of the Carolinas, and we, we thought he was joking. <laughs> when Captain, I didn't Tom, think he was joking. <laughs> but Captain Tom said, uh, "Take off your fin, and if an alligator comes at you, hit him with it." Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't sure if that was uh, uh, really part of the. Was that just something you you do to haze the new divers? Well, I, I know where we wound up after that second dive where all those power lines were in the water and uh, the closer you got to shore, the thicker the muck was up to your knees. Mm-hmm. That would have not been a fun place if somebody had come by and uh, looked like an alligator and wanted to take a bite of me or wanted to mate with my leg or something. I, I don't think we'd have been able to get that guy's out of the way freaking lucky. pretty quick. Yeah, he was amazingly lucky, That's, yeah. Uh, it sounded like he was a bit I down mean, on if I had been. I, I don't know why I would probably have gasped 
Yeah. Very fortunate. Let's take a look at the next article we have up. Molecular changes in white blood cells may help diagnose the Benz scuba diver. This is out of the very light reading, Genetic Engineering and Bio Biotechnology News. <laughs> and uh, what that actually what's interesting about that is that that is one of my customers, Rianne Liebert. Work with them for maybe even longer. New study headed by researchers at the University of Malta claims to be the first investigated gene expression changes in scuba divers with decompression sickness, DCS, potentially deadly condition, also known as the BENS. The study results point to an upregulation of genes involved in inflammation and white blood cells activity in DCS could lead to the identification of biomarkers that will help doctors to diagnose the condition more precisely. We've shown that decompression sickness activates genes involved in white blood cell activity, inflammation, and general generation of inflammatory, that's all I'm looking for, inflammatory protein called biotechnine. Nicola Ace, PhD, sorry. I've mispronounced your name. Uh, basically, decompression sickness activates some of the most primitive body defense mechanisms that is carried out by certain white blood cells. Acute effects on human peripheral blood transcriptome of decompression sickness secondary to scuba diving. Port. Decompression sickness is a potentially lethal condition that can affect divers. Symptoms include joint pain, a skin rash, Visual disturbances, some individuals, the condition can be so severe that it leads to paralysis death. Searches have known about the bends for more than 100 years. A paper published in 1908 correctly hypothesized the involvement of gas bubbles forming in blood issues because of decrease in pressure, but we still understand relatively little about the physiological basis. Animal studies, studies have suggested that inflammatory processes may have a role in decompression sickness, but no one had previously studied the humans. Divers have developed methods such as controlled ascent to reduce the risk of but for suspected cases, there's little, there's no definitive diagnostic, diagnostic and clinicians instead relied on observing symptoms and seeing whether patients responded to hyperbaric oxygen, which involves breathing oxygen at high pressures, while HBO resolves the symptoms in 80 to 90% of the cases, the authors noted that the effects may be long-lasting and the victims may suffer from long-term sequelae. DCS involved in a spinal injury challenging to treat. They pointed out may result in bad things, <laughs> bladder dysfunction and incontinence, and sexual dysfunction. However, they continued the search for new treatments for DCS as a I thought Doppler's was also used to determine that. Yeah, used to do it around the carotids, mm -hmm. and they could tell if you had um, bubbles in the airstream or micro bubbles. But that's been years ago, as I recollect, used the Doppler system. And that would make sense because that's really what you're looking for. I mean, it, it wouldn't be 100%, but it, bubbles are bad in your bloodstream, no matter how you look at it. 
Yeah, I could just have to take a bubble or a blood sample, get that, you know, matched real quick. I wonder how they would do that. Not sure. Interesting, though. Yeah. Well, any. I just wonder if if a pretest of this would be indicative of how susceptible you would be to the bends. So you're thinking that this is something that they could test. Just well, I'm wondering is, if if you have a certain marker, does that mean you're more susceptible to the bends? Is what I'm curious about. Yeah, uh, I mean that'd be interesting to know. Did it? Did you take away from that that they were trying to come up with like a just a general test? Because if it was something like well, you, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think so because they talked about indication of biomarkers that would lead to diagnose. So I again, that doesn't give us any indication if that would be available. If you took your blood sample and checked it for this biomarker, would you have the biomarker before you had decompression issues? Yeah. That, that's what I'm not clear on. Yeah. If you'd have it before or after. I, I wonder how, doing, how involved this test is. Could, could this be? I don't know. Could this, is this something that you could have a kit on a boat? Or is this something that you have to go to? You would potentially have to go to the hospital because it involves quite a bit of equipment. And stuff. Yeah, I was just trying to look and see what they did with the blood. I don't know enough about biomarkers to be able to determine. Oh, yeah. Or, have a comment on that. This is, as you could tell by my pronunciation, a little bit outside of my computer science realm. Yeah. Now, Karen, of course, listening to all of this, yeah. might have a better idea. <laughs> yeah. So maybe she'll type something in for us. Let us know what she thinks. In the meantime, Turkey yes. launches a campaign to clean up sea snot. Yeah, I saw that one. I was really curious what you were going to say about that one. That first picture looked pretty freaking gross, though. Uh, around the boats? Yeah, that's uh, yeah. a big sea bogey right there. And that reminded me of the picture that Kevin put out last week of the, uh, around the, I think it was the North Pier there in South Haven, where we looked like it had an algae bloom. Yeah. Not as bad as this by by any, you know, stretch of the imagination. That is, that's gross looking. That, yeah, and that is a lot. And there's another photo there that was taken on June 6th. I mean, that's like the whole bay. That's like New Buffalo being completely indonated. Yeah. Indonated? Wow. I just can't. Uh, as soon as they say as a campaign to, re to remove mucilage, just makes me think of snot. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's See, horrible. Yeah. The, <laughs> the close-up actually doesn't look that bad, relatively. I mean, not like when you see the, the other view. I'd big. A big glob on the second picture is pretty gross. I mean, if I got on the back of your boat, come up the ladder, and dump myself on your transom, I don't think you're going to appreciate that. Do boats over there have, like, hoses to, to get you <laughs> off? But uh, uh, Turkey launched on Tuesday a campaign to remove the mucilage, also known as sea snot, from the Marmara era, area, Marmara Sea, in that area, environmental and Urbanization Minister Murat Purim inaugurated the campaign on the uh, Boston Beach and the shores of Marmara, the in the country's largest city, Istanbul. I could say Istanbul. Uh, we started. We're starting Turkey's largest and most comprehensive sea cleaning campaign to eliminate the mucilage problem that threatens all sea creatures and the entire ecological life. 
minister also stated his ministry plans to declare the the area protected area until the end of 2021. The head of cleaning team told reporters on the scene that the crew members will confine mucilage to certain areas of special equipment in the sea, pull out via pumps. Scuba divers have dived several times to check the situation under the water off at Boston. Oxygen levels under the sea surface are now considerably low. That kills the sea life slowly, uh, said a scuba diver, Ashton, and the head of Turkish Underwater Sports Federation. He told reporters at diving. Other divers said all sea creatures are covered with a thick jello-like <laughs> layer of slime has been first seen on Instable's shores and later expanded to several other provinces along the sea. Large parts of the sea have now been covered with a substance threatening the environment, underwater life, and fishing activities. Press reports noted mucilage was also seen in some parts of the Black Sea. Scientists say this phenomenon is not new, but has become massive due to pollution such as raw sewage runoffs from Instample and coastal sea. Oh, it sounds like it's, it's equivalent of our Great Lakes algae bloom. Just a little bit too much nutrients there. I, I tell you, it's a heck of a lot worse than our algae bloom. And they're talking about uh, a large part with uh, raw sewage running off. We don't have that. But by the way, you did know that uh, swimming at Silver Beach last weekend was a no-no again. No, I didn't. What happened there? Oh, yeah. E. coli levels were oh. up again. And again, it doesn't look near as bad as that by any stretch. No. And yet we had that aspect. I mean, and you, you didn't see it. If they hadn't done their their uh, sampling, you mm-hmm. wouldn't know. That's kind of bad there. No. All I know is they're going to use a lot of Kleenexes. Yeah. <laughs> a bump bump. He's not. Not not a great marketing term. I don't know how you how you do that to get people in the area come. You're you're not since you say raw sewage yeah. and and snot. I don't think I'm going to be eating a fish out of there either. No, yeah, I I don't feel so bad when I have that brain matter leaking. That's just minor compared <laughs> to this. Wow. We have endangered blue whales recorded off southwest coast of India. Researchers from the University of Washington shows that endangered blue whales are present and singing off the southwest coast of India. The results suggest that conservation measures should include this region, which is considered expanding tourism. Analysis of recordings in late 2018 and early 2020 in Lakshadweep, an archipelago of 36 low-lying islands west of the Indian state of Kerala, detected whales with peak activity in April and May. The study was published in May in the journal Marine Mammal Science. The presence of blue whales in India waters is known from several strandings and some live sightings of blue whales, said lead author Divya Pickner, a UW doctoral student in oceanography. But basic questions such as where blue whales are found, what songs they sing, and what do they eat, how long they spend in Indian Ocean waters, what seasons still largely answers the question of important in a region, which is also experiencing effects of climate change. This study provides conclusive evidence the presence of occurrence of blue whales in Lake Shadweep, a knicker said. It is crucial to answer these questions and draw up science-based management and conservation While enormous blue whales feed in the waters around Antarctica, smaller pygmy blue whale populations are known to inhabit the Indian Ocean, the third greatest ocean in the world, 
previous preliminary research, Pinnaker, who grew up in Cochin, India, talked to local fishers who reported seeing whale blows during the spring months, since whales surface only occasionally and sound waves travel well in water. The best way to study whales is the same way they communicate. Typical blue whale song is a series of one to six low moans, each up to 20 seconds long, below a threshold of human hearing. The pattern and number of moan varies from populations. Songs provide insight in the poorly studied population. A possible new song recently reported in the central Indian Ocean and off the coast of Madagascar and for a new study, scuba divers placed underwater microphones at two ends of the island. Other studies in nearby water suggest the presence of blue whales would be seasonal. Recording confirmed their presence between winter and summer monsoons. Our study extends the known range of the song type further 1,000 kilometers or 620 miles northwest of Sri Lanka. Our study provides the first evidence of northern India. I find that interesting because a big source of information on whale sounds. You know who has that, don't you? The United States Navy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that would make sense. I mean, the sonar men are pretty damn good at determining where they are by what they hear. And uh, some of those guys have really, really good ears. That's Betsy. And they record <laughs> a tremendous amount of that because obviously you're comparing that with man-made noise by other submersibles. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's interesting that if they did look at some of the Navy data, I think they'd have a heck of a lot more current and various data from all the oceans. Ask a Navy guy. Yeah. He can fill you in. Sure, a lot of bubbleheads out there would be more than happy to help you. So if you happen to be listening to this video or watching the video, I should say, and you have any information, go ahead and put a comment in the chat below. We'd love to hear from you. Have NASA partners with Ocean Research to research body to map and protect coral reefs. NASA's entered a Space Act agreement with Living Oceans Foundation, giving the Nemo Nemo Net team access to the data from the global reef. Name uh, NASA Ames Research Center in California Silicon Valley partnered with. Khaled Bin Sultan Living Oceans Foundation, KSOF, to expand the efforts to map the planet's most unique and oldest life forms, coral reefs. The health of the coral is vital for marine ecosystem and sea creatures. However, the coral reefs are dying out at an unprecedented rate, and thus it is integral to map NASA's NEMO-NET, or the Neutral Multimodal Observation and Training Network Project, has been on a mission to map and track the health of the world's coral reefs with the help of tens of thousands of citizen scientists, giving them access to data. One of the largest surveys of coral ever done, a 10-year research mission aims to travel across the globe and conduct surveying and mapping one-fifth of the world's coral reefs in order to effectively address the coral reef crisis. With the help of Foundation, NASA plans to generate massive data set in conjunction with a neural network and Pleiades supercomputer at Ames that powers EmoNet. L E A D got three vowels all together. Three year NASA field expedition to examine Earth's coral reefs have already been under years under extensive coral projects, short short for the Coral Reef Airborne Laboratory. NASA Coral deploys a special airborne instrument called the Portable Remote Imaging Spectrometer, PRISM, developed and maintained by NASA's Jet Propulsion 
Prism flies an altitude of 28,000 feet above the coral reefs aboard a modified aircraft. Last invited video gamers and citizen scientists to embark on a virtual. What is your thoughts, Mac, on it takes a diver in the water? What is the depth of the coral? Is it a shoreline issue or does it go out? How far out do you start having coral and not having coral? Uh, well, I think that you have, they've found, what was it? They found them down to 300 meters, I believe, some of the barrel coral. Because yep, uh, I remember they were talking about you can't get certain kind of coral. The divers go down to 200 feet, and it's like they're still below them, coral. So how far out does the coral go? How deep does it go? And what percentage of that is diveable to sport divers? Not tech divers, not rebreather guys, but sport divers. And I'm willing to bet that's not a lot. No. No, you're, you're going to get... You, you can get a really good, probably, you know, the 10 feet to 40, 50 feet. That's going to be something many are going to be comfortable with. But the uh, deeper levels are going to be a little different. That's going and, to be a and, normally, and normally we associate, or at least I associate, coral with southern climbs. Now, how much coral do you have off the shore of New Jersey? Um, I don't think New Jersey has a ton. And what about Nova Scotia? I don't know. So is, is coral, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is coral predominant in the southern regions where you have warmer water? And, uh, I mean, you don't have shallow waters off the Hawaiian Islands. It, it gets deep real darn quick. How far down does a coral go? So the human element, I think, is going to be limited. The aerial photography, that seems your best bet, especially if you got any kind of viz. Well, and if you can use some of the satellites and the satellites can help tell you how deep the ocean is, that's what I've heard. Sounds like more of an electronic aspect is what's going to be needed or to give you the most data. I had to do a search since where does it grow? Coral Reef Alliance, their website, let's see, they say that corals reefs go best in warm water, which is 21 yeah. to 29 degrees Celsius or 70 to Fahrenheit prefers clear, shallow water where lots of sunlight filters to their yeah. symbiotic algae. It is possible to find corals at depths up to 300 meters or 300 feet or 91 meters, but reef building corals grow poorly below 60 to 90 feet. But we have had that article where they had some of some really large old corals, but because you're that deep, the algae isn't growing as fast. And when you start talking about the shallow, like that appears to be a good number of it, down in the south where you have the warm water, you also have hurricanes or typhoons, depending if you're Sea of Japan, maybe. So, and that destroys a lot of the coral, or at least disrupts it. So, interesting. Is that the crowdfunding one or crowd, a different one? Crowdfunding. So a new crowdfunding regulations now provide access to a hundred year old booty, possibly the largest treasure in history, soon to be recovered. The Czar's Treasure conservatively estimated at four billion to seven billion. And uh, in response to the hundred year old booty, they said, "No, not that type of booty. We're talking sunken treasure." 
It's fabled lost gold cargo, the White Star Line shipwreck of the RMS Republic. Republic was the largest ship to sink in history when she collided with another ship in a dense fog. Cold early morning in January 1999 after leaving New York to go to Europe after the collision, her wireless operator tapped first wireless distress signal. In a history for major open sea rescue, a number of ships groped through the dense fog to find a heavily injured vessel of eventual passengers, many of whom, very wealthy, were taken off and told us to leave belongings behind while they were towed the ship back to the coast for repairs. But it was during the tow, about 39 hours after the initial collision, the Republic finally slipped beneath the At the time, the depth of the which Republic sank, 270 feet of water, was beyond any diving and salvage technology of the day. At 585 feet long and weighing 15,000 tons, she was the largest ship sink in history, surpassed by her younger, bigger sibling Titanic just a few years later. In the days and weeks after she sank, newspapers mentioned the valuable cargo went down with the ship, large sum of the money that was lost. The World War soon followed the Great Depression, but reports of public riches carried on, always vague, just outside a realistic reach and left to the imagination of washbuckling enterprise adventurers. The latest research and appraisal of the cargo, which would be a variety of turn-of-the-century U.S. gold coins, could place today's value of the gold contained within the wreck as high as 4 to $7 billion. So what's stopping somebody from recovering the gold until now? Well, there's been interest in a couple of early salvage attempts. The decks of the ship have all collapsed, giving the cargo the protection of essentially a five-story building collapsed directly on top of it. 270 feet underwater, where visibility is limited, shark makes a round and current and whip up and drag any venturesome diver off the wreck. Short notice. Any attempt prior to the late 1950s by divers would have had them heavily narked, especially drunk on the compressed nitrogen. During their small 30 to 45 minute window for bottom time, the advent of saturation diving in the 60s and 70s extended bottom time significantly. Divers lived at the bottom pressure or diving and salvage ships for weeks at a time, being able to spend 8 to 10 hour stints at the bottom. Heading from their small pressurized world on the ship above the surface at the bottom of the ocean. Diving bed. This goes on. You, we got links in the show notes. But uh, this press release is basically in it for looking for investors. Let's go. 1909, clamshell would be what I would have done. People yeah. had experience with that. Yeah, clamshells have been done for quite a while by that time. And, and I mean, so you got a collapsed building. So you go down there and you just crunch it up, bring it up. Well, here we've got a little bit of the video from their website. Website, and right down here, they're saying, invest today. We are not getting commission on this. Watch. So who owns it? Well, who's responsible for the money? Because they're, they're always, if you bring up gold, it's got to be Spain or it's got to be somebody else's and you got to get their permission. Well, the, so uh, who owns this? Let's see if they say that in here. I, I, I know the answer. But. The Republic departed New York Friday, January 22nd, 1909. 
Shortly after leaving New York Harbor, Captain Selby encountered a very dense fog. The SS Florida loomed out of the fog and collided with Republic on our port side. People at the time did not think that Republic would sink. She was considered unsinkable. Republic was affectionately known as the millionaire ship because of her luxuriousness. Newspaper accounts reported the Republic sank with a fortune in gold. Why would she have this amount of money on board? It was always the mystery. My father is obsessed with Republic and Republic's treasure. He went out for the gold once before. We came up empty-handed. Things have come around. For some reason, the project pulled me back. We're dealing with the largest treasure ship in history. I thought that this wreck would encompass close to 35 years of my lifetime. Well, there you go. He's uh, that that gentleman with the eye patch is the owner of of this. Yeah, he's he's got the he's got the look for it. That's. Uh, I believe he owns the rights to the wreck. This Lords of Fortune website appears to be the website that they're using to try and raise money. There was a show, History Channel, oh, A&E Network, Battle of America. He he had a, uh, that's where I saw him. Story was covered in history. Oh, here it is. History Channel's uh, nine-episode series, Billion Dollar Wreck, which is worth watching. You know, I would say watch that before you invest. If you've got any play money that you want to put out there. Like all these things, they're edited very well in that you can... You, Captain Martin Barrel, that's, that's who that was. And then his son also went. It's a treasure story. I mean, if you're interested in a treasure hunt, this is one of them. Part that I wasn't really convinced of from watching it was, is it really there? You know, it's the classic, you know, documentation on documentation of documentation, which all kind of alludes to that there's something there. And then you have to believe situations that didn't happen that they were talking about. It's one you of those, mean like Oak Island? Like, like Oak Island, uh, like right. the Civil War gold, uh, like, like all of them. I mean, it, it's all, there's something there. And just for the hunt, for the interest, uh, but you, you have to look at how he's got 30, 40 years, you know, stressed relationships and everything involved. I mean that's that's hard, and I I can understand. I I mean yeah I want to know, but sometimes you have to ask: Is it worth it? Worth the price? Riches beyond most men's wildest dreams reportedly lie in the hole. Kind of back to the point of of this that. Gosh. Uh, was what changed in the rules that allow this to be crowd crowdfunded? So at that the, would be interesting. To know. At the current plan, Captain Marvin 
Barrels Company, Martha's Vineyard Scuba Headquarters Incorporated now owns legal title to the wreck and the cargoes as a result of a court battle going back decades to the 1980s. Barrel had been researching and suing Republic's gold for the majority of his life. He fended off governments, interlopers, and competitors from the prize. Now he and his son, Grant Barrel, California attorney, plan to reel in the big fish, what many have called the great white whale of shipwrecks. The RMS Republic wreck is there. It exists hauntingly within reach, buffed all off all prior The only way is through there are no shortcuts. Technology exists now to 3D map the entire wreck site, chart our excavation to the gold chamber carefully and effectively. We can follow the action topside using live updated 3D scans instead of relying on diver narratives. In fact, you could probably reach gold cargo without divers. Only utilize divers for security and ferret instincts in recovering the coins. Novel approach. Tools and personnel the company planned to utilize include a salvage barge, a thousand ton crane with a giant hydro, hydraulic grab, the same kit that was utilized to salvage ship SS Concordia, foundered off the coast of Italy a few years ago. Republic is the largest treasure wreck in history, perhaps the largest treasure. Looking for investors who would be a good match for the project. Someone who thrives on risk and adventure. Someone who is willing to don an exosuit and wants to be on the ship and go down to visit the wreck of the Republic firsthand. Once we've cleared the way, this would be a historic mission accomplishment. Captain Barrels, Lords of Fortune Company, will be performing the recovery. There are two offerings available. A Regulation D for accredited investors only, which offers the biggest upside, and Regulation CF for general public available through be funded, which allows anyone to participate with small investment and different perks. We plan to conduct a 3D survey in late summer and early fall 2021 and begin planning majority of the 2022 recovery. Well, it's just like Mel Fisher. That's what he did, remember, the investments? And I... A little bit. Yeah, he, he ha- must have had... Uh, some way of doing it that was a you know, he wasn't guaranteeing anything probably right. more for an payment yeah couldn't do his investing i'm on that two classifications i wonder what the minimum investment is for that first group well that first group is one of those if you have to ask you probably can't because you have to be accredited so it's probably people who are already investors if, if you know what being an accredited investor means and you probably have Right, it sounds like you're talking the millionaires. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking like you. Well, maybe not. Necess- you probably need to be a millionaire to to be able to handle losing that amount. Of- I wonder if they put out a prospectus. Well, they, they're going to have to. Doing it in real. Please register. Click here to term qualify. Welcome, please go sign. for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I. I, I don't want anybody harassing me, calling me, but it says create a client profile to allows you to shop and browse investments faster, track the status of your current orders, review previous orders, take advantage of our other benefits. Birth. Oh, I'm, I, here I can't do it. I'm too old. I was bef- born before 1970. 
born before 1970? Uh, the, the example for date of birth was uh, somebody born May 1970. So it must be anybody older than that. Uh, well, people older than that who's got the money, unless you're an athlete. Yeah, that's it. That's what he's looking for. Well, I liked it. I mean, he, he, he you know, do you want to get an exoskeleton and go down and dive on the wreck? Come on, huh? Who doesn't? Now, so working dive, that's different than if you're sightseeing. Uh, just get your gym, a gym suit and go down and give him a hand. Yep. Let's see. We got one final article. I was going to say, we, we started to talk about doing a presentation on this, and we looked it up a little bit. And the key items is there's a difference between the environment and freshwater, brackish water, saltwater. Mm-hmm. And the big key is what happens when the pollutants on the vessels, including paint, asbestos, oil, radioactive materials such as sunken submarines, that makes the difference of it's a, if it's a good idea or not a good idea. And plus, what is, what is their cargo? Well, kind of back in the other one, it says, uh, Karen, looking in the great big book of everything, said the term accredited investor is used by Security and Exchange Commission under regulatory de- regulation D. De- refer to investors who are financially sophisticated and have a reduced need for protection provided by the regulatory disclosure filings. Accredited investors include natural high net worth and fit individuals. Rich people. Banks, insurance companies, brokers, and trusts. <laughs> so if you don't call yourself a rich person, you're probably not an accredited investor. Oh. So yeah, it says accidental shipwrecks often come loaded with toxic materials that leach in the environment when they are challenging to remove. Shipwrecks also frequently occur when a ship crashes in a hidden coral reef, damaging particularly important marine habitats. While many shipwreck damage marine environments, some shipwrecks are intentionally placed underwater to create new habitats. Although intentionally sinking ships is criticized by some as greenwashing, research suggests artificial reefs can create created by shipwrecks under the right conditions. By creating new places for fish and other marine life to live, shipwrecks can mitigate the loss of reef system. And the key item they talk about is only in the last 120 years. Before that, everything was biodegradable pretty much. Mm -hmm. Because they were not hauling billions of gallons of, of fuel oil. I mean, the heavy metals we're talking about, lead and iron, Gold, <laughs> the, you know, wasn't the same quantities of what we're talking now. Of yeah. bulk oil, gas carriers, chemical carriers. So the, the, it goes on, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but some of it's kind of obvious. Like you said, oil, toxic chemicals, you know, batteries, TVs. Those are things that you know you would consider pollution. On a shipwreck. Yeah. But in certain situations, they can be beneficial. Artificial reefs, both in, talked about fresh water and salt water. At some point, we're, we will do that episode. I'm, I'm going backwards on my studio, kind of a little side note. Uh, that we're going to record that here. Uh, problem is that my daughter has filled it up with fruit. That's... That's taking a little bit of time. 
in space. <laughs> well, you know what they say, the kid is never, you never can turn him away until everything in your basement of theirs is gone. Oh, well, yeah, I agree. So that gives a lot of credence to moving out of your house and moving to a house trailer. You ain't got no basement. Yeah. Well, I think that does it for in the news. We went on quite a bit longer. Like uh, we were saying, we are going to have some uh, videos. Just today I was looking at the numbers. When we originally did the podcast, the intent for the show was to kind of be something that people be watch week after week. But when you look at the numbers, there must be a lot of people who search for a podcast and the title of the podcast episode is what drives them in. So what we'll be doing is we'll be mining some of those title names saying, hey, there's some interest in it. Uh, and we'll be doing video episodes that are searched a little bit fancier than our normal podcast. And those are the ones that we'll be spending some time on along with the weekly podcasts doing some of those videos. So if you're enjoying the show, time for our plug. Certainly could use your support. Thank you for everybody who has been supporting the show. As we climb out of this pandemic, we certainly could use that support. So as you get yourselves on your feet and handle it, you know, just a, a few dollars our way would make a big difference. You know, there's some things we'd like to do, such as doing the videos, such as doing some live streaming. I'm looking, and uh, while you wouldn't be paying for the whole thing, you would help uh, enable us. A couple cameras capable of live streaming, so we'll, we'll be working on that. Get to come and dive with us. Other than getting in the water and getting wet, that's about the next. So if you can do that, go to www.scubaobsessed.com. Click on to our Patreon link. And $3 or more gets you early access to the show notes. And it will get you into the uh, Discord chat room reserved for our supporters long time. Enablers. Fans, <laughs> enablers, fans. Um, so I, I don't have any real updates on the hosting move. I did uh, I did some minor updates to the website earlier today, but we'll be doing some more of that once we get the podcast moved onto the new platform. Diving. Let's talk about some diving. I did not get any dives in last week. Mac, did you happen to get any in? I got one in on Saturday with Mary Beth. We hit the river. Uh, you still got me or not? I thought yep. I lost you. No, you, we still got you. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. So it was definitely a wet suit dive. Yes. You can hear me now? Yep. Okay. Uh, so I did the dry suit. She did the wet suit few times that no gloves, no hood, and you're burping your dry suit because it's too damn hot. Uh, visibility wasn't that great, maybe two feet. Lots of fish, a lot of bigger clams than normal. Uh, no crayfish. And uh, as always, you got the obligatory cell phone. Unfortunately, the screen was cracked, so it wasn't any good. Darn so it was, it was a more of a modern cell phone. Oh, yeah, it was a nice one with three cameras. Three cameras. Oh, yeah, that's that's, that's yeah, pretty just, current. Yeah, just like the, the 12 Pro. Yeah. So I bet somebody was really pissed. That's a $1,200, <laughs> $1,600 camera, or I should say phone. 
And then now uh, the club got in their tankful Tuesday dive. That was at uh, Big Pop Paul down at Forest Beach. A really good place if you're checking out your gear for the any other kind of diving. Uh, two people were actually checking out the dry suits, looking for particular leaks, uh, how they were working for them. Uh, myself, I went wet. Uh, didn't get chilly until you got past the thermocline about 20 feet. Then it started getting chilly. Visibility was not that great, and the weeds have already started kicking up. Wow. The yep. old days where you could go there and pick up bottles and stuff, way gone because of the sediment. But the only thing you could find there was 50-gallon barrels, tires, big tires, truck tires that people have put together and tossed into the river or into the lake. And one would normally think they're done that way because they're uh, buoying uh, platforms, but these were away from the houses. So it looks like people getting rid of trash. Oh. And I know then they had the uh, SAS dive on Wednesday. Yep. I was at uh, Lake 16. Yep, Eric saying they had 25 divers. Oh, I thought I have a good turnout. That's amazing turnout. Yeah. And I know Kevin's been in a couple of times, different places. He's been doing a lot of uh, work there on the uh, Green Bay. A lot of really great drone pictures he's gotten. He also did a search and recovery wedding ring or wedding band off the piers, as I know, off a dock. So he had a little bit of experience on that. And found it really, really quick, which was good for him and good for the people. Yeah. <laughs> good for the lady. And, uh, well, I got a dive this weekend scheduled. Ah, one this weekend. Working, a working dive, but... Uh, and it counts. Oh, yeah, it does. If it pads the wallet, it feels good. <laughs> but we'll see how well it does. So it is warm out there. People are getting into it. Oh, what? see, uh, they hit the Havana. Mm -hmm. I think that was Big John and the normal crew for that. I think Sarge, Kirk. Uh, Kirk was at the Tuesday night dive also. Oh, excellent. So, hey, you need to be get out get out there and getting wet. It's June, people. It is. I got I got my dry suit hanging in the tree. Uh it's it's dried off, gotten wet, and dried off again. I do have to have well, a little bit of maintenance done. If you're doing inland lakes and shallow, hey, a leaky wet suit's gonna be more than fine. Yeah. Yep, if I can fit in the wetsuit, what I'd have to do. I just need to to break down and buy it if if I didn't have kids in college. I keep dreaming about that day. I could I can remember when we were talking about uh if we can get if we stop buying formula and stop buying diapers, but I'm not sure we stopped buying anything. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully one of these metal detectors works for you this weekend, man. Uh, I've checked out two of the uh, other ones she's given me. They're fine. The only difference with those is they're more of a, what do you call, pinpointing detectors. Mm -hmm. And that means after you've hit a, an area, a pinpointer minimizes, especially on the ground, where you have to deep or how where you have to dig. Uh -huh. uh, it really facilitates 
recovery without doing a lot of damage to the soil or the area in which you're diving, or in this case, looking for stuff. But we shall see. Yeah. Well, that's good. Sounds like we're, we're, we're hitting in the season as we talked earlier in the show. Got the Mug Club uh, meeting next Tuesday. I'm going to be running a little late to that. I got robotics, but if uh, students play hooky, then I should be able to I might. Well, we won't have the, the Tuesday night dive, that one. We'll probably have a Friday night, mm-hmm. and it'll probably be towards, if, if we've got enough people. Otherwise, it's going to be a Saturday dive in the river. Okay. How's, how's the river conditions been? Well, we did get quite a bit of rain yesterday. Before the rain, you had six, eight-foot visibility. Yeah. That, that rain kicked it. And today, we had a torrential pour for maybe an hour at my house. Uh, I did see a little bit, uh, but I could tell it had rained. But yesterday was yesterday. Yeah. Quite a bit. Yeah, I got, I got, tried to get ex- expedited shipping on the battery case, but no luck. Monday was the earliest I could get. Oh. You have a dive safety story for us this week, Mac? Well, uh, you've been on quite a while, but we got one if you want it. Sure, let's go. I, again, the more we do these, there's always that same pattern. And experienced divers really need to look at themselves and say, Back in the day, could this have happened to me? Or even today, am I setting myself up for a problem? This was called Checkmate, Lessons for Life. Skipping their buddy checks sets diver up for disaster. Joel and three buddies had just begun their second dive on a deep wreck. They didn't have a lot of time at depth, but conditions were good and Joel was excited. Right up the time until he tried to take a breath. The diver. Joel was a 40-year-old technical diver experienced in deco techniques. He was healthy, no known medical conditions, and he'd been on the wreck several times. The four friends were diving off a small charter in the lake, two hours from home. The wreck rested in the sand at 170 feet, with its upper structure rising to 140. The divers had completed dive without incident. After surface interval, they geared up for their second dive. The four entered the water. After signaling each other in the boat, they began their descent. They stayed together as two buddy teams. All four divers remained in general contact. During the first dive, they spent most of the time above the bow. For this dive, they targeted the stern. The hull there was broken open, and they knew they could look into the engine room as well. They planned to perform deco stops and were each using a single 100 cubic foot steel. Each diver carried a small pony bottle of oxygen to use in the final 15 feet before surfacing. 10 minutes into the dive, Joel realized something was wrong. He attempted to take a breath, but there was nothing. He quickly signaled his dive buddy that he was out of air. But he immediately gave Joel his alternate air source. The two linked arms and began ascending. At 30 feet, Joel's buddy paused to make his first deco stop. The divers hadn't been at depth for long, but the man didn't want to take chances. He knew they likely they had likely ascended faster than recommended. Joel stopped with his buddy for a moment, but then dropped the alternate air source and began swimming for the surface without a regulator in his mouth. He was carrying an oxygen-filled pony bottle 
but did not stop to use it, nor to stop at 15 feet and try decompression. Reaching the surface, Joel signaled for help from the boat and lost consciousness immediately. He was about 50 feet away, and it took the crew a few minutes to reach him. They found him about five feet underwater. Since Joel had not been able to inflate his BCD, the crew immediately began resuscitation, but Joel never regained consciousness. Medical examiner concluded primary cause of death was air embolism after a rapid ascent. The second cause was drowning. An investigation revealed Joel had never switched out his first tank. He began his second dive on the reserve he had surfaced with after his first, and then ran out of breathing gas on the bottom. Analysis. Sometimes divers become overconfident and take shortcuts. They assume their personal experience will help them overcome any situation. Statistics show that accidents occur not just when divers are novices, but sometime after divers gain experience and lower the guard. In Joel's case, there was confusing during the surface interval. Joel may have thought he had his friends help switch out his tank, but was mistaken. Regardless of how it happened, Joel began a deep dive with a mostly empty tank. Finding yourself out of air at depth can be scary, especially regardless of your experience. While it's unlikely he was in full-blown panic at that time, based on his buddy's description, it's fair to say Joel was likely scared and worried. Two foot divers breathing off one tank can be awkward, especially if you haven't practiced the emergency procedure. Many divers never practice their rescue skills after their open water course unless they're advanced through rescue diver, become dive master or instructor. Even divers who practice those drills might have trouble ascending with an alternate air source if they've never done it with that particular buddy. That makes it more difficult. Joel can, chose to continue to the surface after his buddy paused to make a deco stop. It is likely he saw the surface 30 feet above. Mine told him he was safe, this is an indication of perception of narrowing of your vision that comes with panic. You feel your options are narrowing to the simple flight or flight, and Joel's mind said to flee to the surface. We'll never know whether Joel held his breath completely or just didn't exhale enough on his final ascent. But from that depth, the air in his lungs would effectively double in size, more than enough for lung expansion, overexpansion injury, and gas embolism. A long overexpansion injury happens when you don't exhale on a set. Air in your lungs expands. It tears a hole in the lung tissue, sends a bubble to your breathing gas and to your bloodstream. When the bubble hits the arterial circulation, it goes directly to the brain, causing stroke-like symptoms and a rapid loss of consciousness and depth. Joel's case, he either forgot to do a pre-dive safety check or he possibly thought he didn't need to. Never looked at his pressure gauge. If he had, he would have noticed something was wrong, and the incident would not even have happened. He simply took a breath from his regulator, made sure his air was on, entered the water. That simple check, possibly rushing to get into water, spelled the difference between successful fun dive and one with devastating outcomes. Lessons for life. To pre-dive safety check, experienced divers often think this is something for newbie divers, but it's really for everybody. And don't become complacent. 
Your dive gear is your life support system. It allows you to enter an alien environment. Don't take it for granted. And practice your emergency drills. Take the opportunity when you make a safety stop, practice alternate air source supply. Breathe with your dive buddy. Plan it before you go into water. And plan on doing it on your ascent. Practice self-rescue drills like mass clearing, regulator recovery, cramp release as well. You never know when you're going to need them. And for that aspect, looking at the scenario, could that have happened to you? And the wreck, I'm looking at the Ann Arbor 5, almost the same depth we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Could that happen to you? Checklist, like you said, that's certainly important. It's 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 easy to, again, it seems to be a common topic of get complacent. But unless you can generate your own oxygen, you better make sure your air is turned. And we, 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 how many times do we practice that and preach it? Take a breath, look at your gauge, and if you're looking at the gauge to make sure it's all the way open or the, the valve, you know you got a tank or you don't have a full tank. Yep. And there ain't no way in blazes I'm going to go down unless I got a full tank, especially 100, at that kind of depth. Yep. And again, at 30 feet, uh, with a buddy who's got air and you've got air, why not do it? Like you said, panic, tunnel vision. Hey, I can see the surface. I can go for it. Yeah. Could it happen to you? Certainly could. It can, it can happen to anyone. Another good one. Yeah. Well, one final thank you to everybody in the chat room and our supporters. Do you have anything you want to plug before we get on out of here, Mac? Well, if you're muddy, hope to see you Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I can make it. It'd be nice to see everybody. I'm, I'm thinking how many people, you know, I did see a few. I think I've seen Kurt and I've seen John and you, Jim and Karen. But like Mary Beth, I don't think I've seen her come out to a dive. You haven't seen Sir Larry. I haven't no. seen him for a while. No, I haven't seen Sir Larry. Quite a few we haven't seen. I I saw that the we're getting to less than five cases per day in the county. And vaccinations I'm... has hit sixty percent. Yeah, I'm really curious how that new strain is. They said it's uh, really a rough one. The third modification, the one from India. Yeah, yeah, they're well, the one they call the Delta. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they... it depends on who you listen to. But, you know, unfortunately, this is all stuff we'll know in hindsight. Right now, it's hard to tell how much is uh, you know, fi final marketing to sell the last of the vaccine. <laughs> we got a bunch. I we got to get through them real quick. Well, I'm making plans to go to Oshkosh, so I hope it's subdued a hell of a lot before Oshkosh. Oh, yeah. That's in late July. And it's not that far down the road. And as another, my favorite topic, you know that is UFOs. I'm going back out the Devil's Monument in that area Ooh. just to look around a little bit. Ah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, did did we get the speaking of UFOs? Did we ever get the releases they were talking about? Or? The release sucked. Oh, did I read it? two versions of it, and it's the same thing. as, yes, there is something out there. 
No, we don't know what it is, but it's probably somebody here on Earth, but we don't think so. What the hell? <laughs> and they didn't talk anything about which some people have alluded to of items that they have procured from other sources that were from wrecked objects of unknown origin. Uh, yeah, yeah, they were just CYA and up there, whatever. Well, you think of but how at many... least they're, they're at least now, though, they're encouraging everybody, Air Force, Navy, whatever. When you see it, tell somebody, wait a minute, I think I've heard that on something else. Yeah. When you see something, <laughs> tell them. When you see yeah. something, now say something. Gonna... Yeah, yeah. I, should, I should have like yeah. a little, uh, like a little, uh, yeah, song we play when. Yeah, yeah. They're saying now we, we won't think that you're really nuts, even though we didn't think so before. But we couldn't say that. Yeah, they're encouraging everybody to report what they see, mm -hmm. and a lot more photo uh, photographs are coming out. And a lot of people are taking a lot of video out of their aircrafts at 35,000 feet. Mm -hmm. And quite interesting what people are, are videoing out of the window. Well, the cameras are getting cheap. Uh, storage space and, is cheap. Why Why wouldn't you yeah. just get two or three dash cams, you know, mount a couple out the front window, put one off the back and side, and hey, yeah, something to take a look at when you got a, a well, long day. Well, Actually, a lot of the, um, I think the FAA is looking not only to having the video or audio recorders for cockpit, mm -hmm. they're now wanting all of them to have video recorders so they can not only hear, but see the actions of the pilots, co-pilots, and it'll also project what's outside the window. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, you don't have the, like your, your Cessna doesn't have a black box in so, no. So, but if but if they did have a uh, uh, a dash cam with a behind the pilot view, that could give them some indication. You know, the, he he. If he, they want to pay for it, I'll put one in there. Well, I if mean, I get to keep the video. Yeah. Well, the, we know how durable those SD cards are. SD cards are, even when the planet yeah. uh, has a sudden stopping in an opportune place, the SD card may survive. Yeah. Well, are you ready? Well, I'm sitting down. Sitting down. Here we go. Near a lake used by scuba divers was a dive shop. One day a man walked in the shop carrying a cardboard box. He put the box in the counter and was greeted by an instructor. The instructor naturally asked what was in the box. The man didn't answer but opened the box and took out a miniature grand piano, then a miniature piano stool. And finally, a little man less than a foot tall who sat in the piano and started to play the most incredible music you ever heard. He's fantastic, said the instructor. Where did you get him? Wait, said the customer. I've been diving in the lake where I saw this frog swimming in the middle of the lake alone. It's about 15 feet. Looking very fatigued, I took a hold of the frog and ascended to the surface. The frog seemed very relieved, so I carried him to the shore. When I put him down, and you're not going to believe this, the man said the frog started to talk, and he wasn't really a frog, but an unfortunate genie turned into a frog by a wicked fairy, and because he had never learned to swim, he was doing well as a frog, but the best part was that for saving his life, he agreed to grant me a wish. While being a attentive dive buddy I am, I noticed the frog having some difficulty equalizing, and we surfaced, and it must have affected his hearing. 
because I clearly told him my wish, and that is how I got a 10-inch pianist. <laughs> uh, yeah. If wishes were horses, beggars might ride. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. <laughs> <laughs>